Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. I'm Ellen Craven, and I lead the Strategy, Insights, and Innovation team at Coho Creative. And I'm Lane Rumke, brand strategist at Coho Creative. On this season of Hunting for Nova Sparkus, we will be exploring the effects of COVID-19 across industries. We will be speaking to experts to understand how their lives and potentially jobs have changed during the pandemic. We will also be talking to them about how they believe this pandemic will affect their industry long term. Yeah, we're hoping through these interviews and conversations, we will be able to uncover insights that will help us innovate for a better post-pandemic future. Welcome back. Today, Lane and I will be speaking with a close and trusted partner of COHO, Veronica Besarel. She's going to share with us some recent insights she uncovered through some research she's done with the Hispanic community in relation to how the COVID pandemic has impacted their lives. Welcome, Veronica. Thank you so much, Ellen and Lane. I am very happy to be here with you and with your team to share my story. As Ellen said, my name is Veronica Besseril, and some people call me Vera. And let me tell you a little story about why some people can call me Vera. In our Mexican culture, we use a lot of nicknames. And nicknames are used to show that you personally know the, uh, the other person in order to refer somebody with a shorter name or what we call a nickname. So that really shows that whoever is talking to you and is using a nickname is because they really know you. And uh, Ellen and I go back some years uh, working together and you know she has the okay for me to be using a nickname or a short name because she knows me. Uh, we spend hours in business meetings, we spend hours traveling around the world. And um, I think I know Ellen uh, more than I thought I ever knew her. I'm probably the same way around. And it's weird for me to introduce you as Veronica. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> you see, we, that really means uh, we, uh, we have a connection there. Tell us about your, your background and kind of how you got to where you are today and how you you know, what prompted you to do this research that you recently performed? Well, I'm a Mexican uh, who was raised and born uh, in a small town, Cuernavaca. Uh, I went to school in the U.S. for my undergrad. And funny enough, I have uh, between studying and living in the, in, the, in the U.S. and in other parts, I have lived outside of Mexico for now more than 30 years. But as you can tell, I have not lost my accent nor my Mexican heart. And I'll tell you about that part of, um, of the sentence. You might even laugh at me that you might think, but um, really there's really not one day that goes by when I'm not thinking about my old days in Mexico, when I'm not starving and craving for really those uh, spices and those flavors and the people and the celebrations. Um, that's really when you know that you have not lost your Mexican heart. And I won't lie, you know, the hardest thing about living in Mexico, not in Mexico, in the U.S. or abroad, uh, you know, away from Mexico is really the connection with the family. But having said that, I have enjoyed every single year uh, that I have lived abroad. Um, I have learned so much. I have grown so much. And the opportunities that I have had have been amazing. So what am I doing now? Uh, it was interesting how uh, uh, Ellen introduced me. Right now, I'm um, an independent business consultant helping, you know, any type of company, either small, medium, or large, uh, to really bring the consumer to the center of the business decision. Um, I work for a big CPG company, um, and I'm, I'm really now leveraging everything I learned and everything I did to help my clients really think strategically, you know, uncover insights and really build deeper understanding that would translate into business growth. Um, the interesting thing about this job is sometimes I'm working with a very, very, uh, small startup that is just starting to think about an idea. And then some days I'm working with somebody that has a company, a, a brand that sells, you know, even a billion dollar business. And then, you know, thinking of how do we go from a billion to a two billion in 10 years. And also what I love about what I do, Ellen, is that, you know, one day I am working in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and the next day I'm on a plane, you know, on my way to Buenos Aires, Argentina, or to um, Peru, Lima, uh, and go and talk to some consumers, you know, in a, 
in one of those small little uh, towns in the in the middle of of, uh, of the of the country. I'll t- I'll carry your bags the next time you go to Peru. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is the best thing is I have not gone uh, through Machu to Machu Picchu. Oh, that's on my bucket list. Yeah, you've been all over, and you know when you talk about the Hispanic community. You know, I know one of the things that we had talked about earlier is, you know, is there a difference between Latin, the Latin consumer versus the Hispanic consumer? Because you hear people or even just the Mexican consumer, you hear people using those descriptions interchangeably. And that's what, you know, it's so funny that you say that, you know, it's, it's, that is true. You know, the word Latins or what they call Latin X, you know, to really, um, uh, bring neutrality to the word and Hispanic people are using them interchangeably. Um, but the reality is there is some difference between those two words. And I'm just quickly going to tell you the difference so you can, you know, learn something today. Um, you know, when we talk about Latins, Latin is really the short name or even the nickname, how we talk about it for, um, for the Spanish word Latinoamericano and really refers to anybody who was born or have, has ancestors from Latin America and is living in the U.S. Even includes Brazilians, for example, who really don't speak Spanish, but they speak Portuguese, but because they live in Latin America. Now, the word Hispanic really is, for, is really referring for people that are um, from uh, Spanish-speaking, only Spanish-speaking Latin American countries, but do include islands uh, or the Caribbean. So, for example, Brazilians, are supposedly not to be considered Hispanics because they really don't speak Spanish, uh, although some of them do now, but, uh, but they are really more, uh, they speak Portuguese. So that's really how the term, but today the term is used interchangeably. And it's really, you know, it's really only talking about the origin, but it's really not referring to any race or color. Um, so that's really the, the difference between Latins and Hispanics. That makes sense. Besides language, what are the differences or are there any differences within the different Hispanic or Latin nations? So, you know, I, th- I think it's really more around the influence they received. So, for example, you know, we're talking about um, Brazilians, you know, so we definitely bring them in when we talk about being Latins. Um, but Brazilians are very influenced by, of course, the Portuguese. So they have a lot of things that are um, very Portuguese uh, that some other countries like Peru and Colombia or Mexicans do not have the same would happen to Argentinians and to uh, Chileans and Uruguayans that would say, you know, they are more influenced by Europeans than really um, by, uh, but with, by within the, um, the Indians of Latin America. So that's really the difference. And probably you see that manifesting, uh, manifesting in the way that uh, in what they eat, in what they wear, um, in what they read, um, so that's really where you maybe see uh, different differences between uh, Latins or even Hispanics. But I think that the main um, characteristics of being a Latin, you're probably going to see it across every country. That will be the same. And what are those main characteristics? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, a uh, big disclaimer here, you know, and I always do that when I'm talking to consumers. Um, there's no right or wrong answer here, right? It's just really my personal opinion. So please do not grade me. This is not a test, okay? No, never. All about insights. That's what we're looking for. So, uh, you know, I, I always think about, you know, I always, you know, think about these are the three main things that, that really uh, are characteristics of, of uh, Hispanics, Latins, how you want to call them. And I think the first one, really, it's about family. And you probably have heard this. This is not the first time you hear this. And maybe there might be new answers that I will bring, but uh, everybody has a different takeaway. But for me, as family is at the center of our culture. We tend to, um, to have large families, very close-knit. Uh, and, you know, in generations before me, it was not uncommon to see three generations living under the same roof. So the term family really refers not only to my mom and dad and my sisters, but really refers to the extended, uh, you know, the cousins and the grandparents. So they are all connected and they all talk to each other as family. And I think that um, the reason why, you know, family is so important 
is because there is a moral responsibility that we have with our families. So again, even though I'm not living in Mexico with my parents there, I have this moral responsibility of keeping up what they're doing, how are they doing, what's going on. You know, you will laugh, but I talk to my dad probably more than I talk to my husband sometimes during some days. And people laugh at that. I'm like, really? Yes, my dad will call me in the morning at 6 a.m. and see how am I doing? And uh, then call me or send me a text at 12 o'clock and then maybe send me a little note. So it's interesting how those communications are happening just because of that family type. So I would say that's really critical. The second one is, you know, is you probably also have heard this one, is around the food, the cuisine, but it's really not the actual food. So, you know, people talk about also these, is the food very important now? You know, do you really know how to cook? And, you know, I'm not the best, I'm not the best chef here, but um, I think food really helps to really bring our identity and the importance of family. Um, food is seen as something where we share, you know, the family comes together. We're building this sense of togetherness. And sometimes, you know, you will even think of nostalgia and contempt. So it's, it's a very important time when we are all together around a specific food. So that's really what really food brings. And there's even a term that we used a lot, uh, that we use in Mexico and in another countries as well, which is called the sobremesa. Basically, the term sobremesa is the whole idea of lingering and sitting down uh, through coffee or through a dessert or through just, you know, a, a, a cocktail or a wine or beer and just talking. So it's this idea of using food as a way to really be together and connecting. So that for me is number three. And the last one, again, not the least one, I think is religion. And religion is connected with traditions and is connected with rituals and customs. You probably have heard this too, is, you know, in Mexico, I would say 90, 95% of, uh, of the people are Catholics. And really, I, I don't even think that when you are young, there's something about freedom of religion. You know, you wake up and you, you know that you're Catholic. That's, you know, there's end of conversation. And really everything in your life, you know, it just goes around religion. Re- religion plays an important role uh, in our life. Um, and in our family, in our community, in our, uh, and even in politics today, uh, you know, right now, uh, Mexico is going through a rough situation within our government and, uh, and the church is really having an opinion and, and a voice, uh, upon that. So, uh, so religion really, bring really, um, is important. Um, and then you see that manifesting in different things. Uh, you know, we have a lot of rituals. We have a lot of uh, traditions and days that we celebrate, you know, um, Dia de los Muertos, El Dia de María, uh, the important day of Mary. Uh, so there's a lot of celebrations that go around where they are anchored in, uh, in, in religion. So I would say, again, there's other things and people are going to say, hey, you know, she missed this and she missed that. But I think those three really uh, are at the center of our culture. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense. And, and, and now hearing you talk that, I think it actually helps connect even some more dots to what you found through some research you did recently. Correct. Correct. Um, so if you want, we can dive in into that. So uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about it. So you're probably asking yourself, like, what were you doing in this pandemic? So, um, so it was really, it all started, it all started um, two months ago uh, when, um, when really um, the pandemic, because um, I would say, you know, the pandemic probably started somewhere in March, but I think the beginning of the pandemic, we all thought, yeah, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, and, you know, we'll be back to normal. Uh, but I think we realized pretty soon, I would say maybe around April or May that the pandemic was not going anywhere and it was here to stay. And that's really when I started to, to feel and think of maybe just themes that I was like, um, is it only me? Am I feeling this way? You know, what's going on? So I was, I was thinking about it and I was talking to a friend um, just in general, you know, just to a good friend, just in general, you know, how things were going. And he asked me a very interesting question, which I was like, oh my goodness, I haven't even thought about it. Um, I know I'm feeling something, but I really haven't really put to my thinking. And he asked me, you know, in what ways has the pandemic affected you? And I was like, hui, you know, that's a very uh, depth, um, 
deep uh, question that I haven't really thought about, but I knew it was affecting me. So before answering, you know, of course, I, I had to uh, to think about it and, and, and quickly, you know, answer with, uh, you know, how I was feeling and what things were happening. But then I decided to do a little experiment. Of course, you know, going back to my roots, you know, loving to, uh, to talk to people and just really get the real, real story. I said, I'm going to go and talk to some people and just see if what I'm feeling are others experiencing the same thing or it's just me crazy Veronica. So, uh, so I put together a list of who I would like to interview. So what I did is I said, okay, so I would like to talk to people who are like me. And when I, when I say like me is, yes, you know, there are Hispanic Latinos and you know, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever uh, title you want to put there, uh, that have that live in the U S or maybe live outside the U S could live in Europe or could also live in, uh, in Latin America who are either, you know, female or male, who are either, you know, uh, you know, young, you know, we're all young, right? I am a Gen X. Uh, so I feel very young, but I want to talk to maybe some millenniums. I want to talk to maybe even Gen Y too, uh, some baby boomers. So I, so I put together a list of 14 people in general that some of them lived in Mexico, some of them live in Colombia, some of them in the U.S. And that had, you know, a little bit of diversity just to see. Um, and again, I knew them. So it was somebody that I knew. Uh, some of them were closer than others. Uh, but again, there was a relationship there. You know, I just could not get in the phone and just start a conversation with somebody that I didn't know unless I prepared for that. But I just wanted to have a very informal conversation uh, with them. So, you know, as part of, you know, maybe my weekly or every two weeks chit chats with them, I would just call them and, you know, we were talking and I, the conversation just, uh, just came, uh, you know, proud, part of our everyday. So I asked specifically, asked him the same question as my friend asked me, which is in what ways has the pandemic affected you? And what I found was really interesting. Uh, again, you know, I probably talked to them for like maybe 30 minutes on this topic. So we talk other things, but for this topic it was only 30 minutes and it was more me trying to be a moderator here and just trying to just listen rather than me talking, because you're going to see that I love to talk, as you can tell by now. <laughs> so, um, so what I found was, you know, in general, I found very interesting. I, I discovered four things. And when I talk about this thing, you will see that they're all related to each other. But if we want to, you know, maybe bucket them in different um, sides, you know, this is how I will bucket them. So, you know, the first one really was really all about just this idea of being spontaneous. I felt that because of the pandemic, spontaneity was not permitted. It was uh, very hard to make on the spot plans. Uh, again, you had to go at a certain time to the grocery because if you did not go at a certain time, the grocery lines outside were just hours. You just could not get in to the areas, to the places you, you, uh, that you wanted to go because you were not permitted. So your life was now being dictated by somebody else versus what you wanted to really do. And as Latins, that's one of the things that we really enjoy doing, which is spare of the moment plans and actions. Um, this whole idea of just being free and just doing whatever we want to do at the time that we want to do it is one of the, you know, is, is also a, an interesting characteristic uh, of who we are. So, you know, that was very hard for the people that I spoke with. Um, they talked about just being cut away from just doing whatever they wanted to do. And that was hard. Uh, and when you can't really do what you want to do, you know, you are frustrated and you're sad and you're not happy with what you're doing. Again, they were not killing themselves, but they were saying that really it was a tough time that they were living. I think that now, you know, some of the things are not are open now. You can probably do a bit more sports. There are some sports that are still not permitted, uh, but I think they've been able to live through this. But I think that they are not they're still not there. You know, they, they, they enjoy just being out and, uh, and, and being able to enjoy, you know, even, even, even I was just here, I'm just thinking out loud, even just, they were talking, you know, there was one consumer that was telling me or, or one friend that was telling me, you know, being able to go to a bar yeah. and just have a beer mm -hmm. or having to go buy a beer at the grocery store, bring it to my house and opening a beer. I just wanted to have, go and have a beer. It was just a five minute exercise. You could not do that anymore. 
So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, there are some places now, you know, it was funny, you know, even in some states here or even in Mexico, they were uh, prohibiting the sale of alcohol, for example. Yeah. Uh, you could not buy alcohol. Um, so again, you know, those things, I understand that there were some reasons behind that. Uh, but again, you know, it was really um, just really not helping them uh, to feel like, you know, their everyday. Do you think that there are things, so when we go through um, your themes, I'm, I'm hoping we can talk about ways, like connecting this back to, from a brand standpoint, and ways that brands can think about solving for this, for this consumer. I mean, especially if you think about the, the, the increase in the Hispanic population in the U.S. and how fast it's growing it's very important to understand their needs so we can develop products and or experiences that are going to delight them long-term. Is there, is there a brand that's kind of already doing something well, or maybe, you know, is, are there things that brands could be doing better? Like even you just talking about, you know, going in, going to the store and standing in a line, I've been seeing in a lot of this is much more coming out of London where they're doing things like, putting um, musicians outside the store. So when people are standing in line, they actually can, can hear music and it's a little bit unexpected at the same time. Are there other things that you've come across or lane that you've, you know, you've run into recently that would be a good solution for this one? No, I think you, 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 uh, you hit it uh, beautifully. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Yes. You know, uh, I think we were looking at uh, some research that some companies are doing, uh, even in the food uh, and um, and the beverages, where they are maybe adding some sensorial pieces or parts into their uh, food. It may be flavors, maybe a little spark, maybe the uh, how the water tastes. That is bringing these um, spontaneous feel, look, texture, and flavor to just maybe bring a little spark of that spontaneous ability that you probably don't have here anymore and other things. And they are maybe, you know, trying to cop in some other areas where you can add a little sparkle in your life because of, you know, not being able to enjoy that, um, that, that act that you were enjoying before. You made, you made me just think of something that happened recently to us. We do pick up at Walmart for a lot of our staples for the house. And the recent delivery had this beautiful peach in a box and it's basically them, it, and it was very spontaneous. We didn't buy it. We didn't ask for it. It's them giving you this beautiful peach in a box, talking about the fact that, you know, the, the peaches are in season right now. And it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell. It was just more, hey, by the way, and again, this like, this beautiful, I can't even tell you how beautiful this peach was in this beautiful little box. So I, I, you talking about this makes me think there are probably lots of ways brands can do that without even a lot of, you know, a lot of involvement on their end from a resource standpoint. And there's probably a lot of creative ways to think about it as well. Yeah, I think it's all about, you know, just creating those little joys, that surprise and delight, like what you were just talking about with the peach. Like, I think there's a lot of learnings from the unboxing experience that has been talked about for years, like how to deliver that maybe in a physical environment, like music while you're waiting in line or you know, just little ways to spark excitement and joy while we're all having more of a mundane life than normal. Oh, and, and, and I think, you know, even, even today, again, uh, you, you're interested in talking about these um, UK case uh, of the uh, grocery, but even now, sometimes when you go to these restaurants where you have to sit within distance, if there's not enough space to seat you, even I went to a place here in Raleigh where you are outside waiting and they bring you a cocktail for free. Ooh, it's nice. You know, they first ask you, okay, you know, would you like something? And you know, of course you always, you say no. And I said, oh, wait, when you are, you know, would you like something as, you know, make a pre-order before going in, uh, into your uh, table. And then that's when I said, okay, well, you know, I'm, 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 I may have a margarita. And then the husband says, you know, I may have just an IPA. And then they bring it to you and they said, this is on us. So it's just those little things. If I'm going to go back outside and risk, you know, I do this whole thing, about, you know, putting a mask, getting yourself in the car, you know, you know, practicing all of this. Yes. I'm going to go to a place where I feel good about it. So then you go to that that gave you that and you're, you will go back. So I do think that there's exactly what you were saying, Leanne, little things that brands and also even services can do 
to, uh, to bring a smile on us. And it shows that they're empathizing with you. They, they understand what you're going through as well, which is really nice. Correct. Correct. No, totally agree. Okay. Should we move to the next one? Because again, like I said, you know, we can probably stay here and talk for hours. I know we want to go and talk to you about all of these things. So the second one is really all about in-person living. And I carefully use those words because to really reflect the following. So in-person and then living. So you probably have heard a lot of these terms, you know, when people refer to Hispanics and Latins as lively, you know, they live life, they enjoy life. Um, I'm not saying that nobody else does, please don't take it in that way. But they always talk about how, you know, our music is lively, you know, being spicy, the food being spicy is always lively. And then being in person is important for us. So this whole idea of in-person living is critical for uh, for Hispanics. We talked earlier about family and this whole idea of all being, you know, related and really valuing uh, the family touch. When we talk about um, being all together and being, you know, family, uh, there's really no substitute for social interaction. Being in person, there's really nothing you can do. I understand that we were we have been able to use Zoom and Skype, and any type of virtual connection or any virtual application to be able to still be socially connected, but, uh, but there's really no substitute. And that's really what Latins or Hispanics, you know, even Mexicans, we are having a hard time not being able to really enjoy in-person conversation, just in-person laughs. Again, it's very, when, when you're laughing through a virtual application is just so different, you know, even take some time to catch up the laugh with your face. So it was funny the other day I was talking to somebody that she was giving me the news that she's expecting another baby. But I heard the baby first before I saw her face. So, you know, that whole news was not really nicely linked. <laughs> so it was funny. <laughs> okay, I saw I, I heard and then I saw her face of happiness, but it was just not connected. So you just, you really miss something there and you can't get that back. So I think that um, that's exactly one of the things that are, that, that we're missing by being you know, socially distanced, not being able to be together with more than six people and probably your immediate, immediate, immediate family. So that's really where um, we've been a bit, um, Again, frustrated and sad about. Um, and then I think that we would have been okay if these would have been one month. So I think, you know, one month is doable. You can, you know, I, you know, I don't need to see my mom and dad for, for four weeks. I don't need to see my friends for four weeks. It's fine. You know, I can do it. But when you're talking four or five months, um, I think it's getting a little old. And then I'm not surprised to see some of some reviews that we talk about, well, you know, it's just the family got together. There were 19. I'm like, well, you know, Hispanics, when they think about family, you know, that is not the immediate family is the extended family. So 19 <laughs> was even a little too small family. So I'm not surprised that you're seeing some cases uh, of coronavirus with only the family. And they were like, well, it was only our family. We didn't invite anybody else. But, uh, but I think that that in-person living uh, is very critical for them. Yeah. I think that brands have kind of been solving for this already almost accidentally just because of forced circumstances. So we were talking a little bit about this earlier, but you know, brands content these days hasn't been able to be as high quality as it normally is just because, you know, big teams can't be together to work on stuff. And so people are having to solve for this by filming things at home using their iPhone as their camera. And I was reading an article the other day, and there's actually been a really great consumer response to this because, you know, even though you're not in person experiencing this brand, it feels more like you are and it feels more like you're in this person's home or, you know, having this real conversation rather than like a glossy, high produced video that you're watching. So I think that's really interesting because it's kind of been an accidental side effect, but it's worked for a lot of brands favor. No, I totally, I love your example. That's totally right. And you know, the other one that I also, and I don't remember if I read it or I saw it. So I'm sorry for that. But I saw, uh, or I read, you know, that brands are using applications to be able 
to also so play with your grandfather. So or even the, fa- the grandfather can read a book to the grandson. So they are doing this to simulate this idea of um, social interaction in person through those apps. I don't know if you heard that, but I was like, oh my goodness. I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother would read to me, you know, in my bed or even me to my, to my kids, but more the relationship of the grandfather, you know, and the, and the, and the, and the grandkids, you know, reading to me. But now you can do that, you know, live uh, in an application and you're doing, you know, you are, you're exactly looking at the same thing and you're hearing the voice of your grandfather, which is fantastic. So I do agree that there are some companies that are solving for this. And I think that as they find better ways to solve for this, they're going to win the heart of the consumer there. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you think about it, so when this first started, everybody was doing virtual happy hours and they were playing games, you know, virtually with friends. And I started to think about the fact that, you know, this is something they could have been doing before and they weren't. So, you know, friends that don't live in the same city anymore that you can't just go hang out with it you know, a beer garden, why, why wouldn't you have been doing something like this before? And now all of a sudden it's, it's the norm it's, and it's something that's accepted and something that, you know, it's not the same as in person, but people are finding ways to stay connected. Um, you know, knowing that this pandemic is, you know, it's, it's not going away anytime soon. So it's, it's an interesting, for me, it's a really interesting dynamic to have watched. I think that, as a Gen Zer, I found it really interesting because, you know, my parents are people who, you know, haven't had this uh, digital connection before. It's been really interesting to watch them start to adopt it because, you know, FaceTime, not necessarily Zoom, but FaceTiming my friends was more um, of a regular thing that I did even before COVID. But it's been interesting to watch um, other demographics start to adopt similar behaviors and adopt technology. And you're bringing a very interesting point, um, which is, you know, how, you know, our older generation is adapting this. And I think that the brands who are winning big are brands who are doing that with the older generation, because you are correct. I think that the older generation is the one that who's missing the most, because like you said, you know, you were already doing some of this, but I'm sure your, your parents, as you mentioned, and your grandparents we're not that used to one, you know, maybe because of a technological barrier, that could be one, but just in general, they were not really brought up with that uh, as a way to communicate. And even with Hispanics where extended family and the importance of grandparents and uncles or aunts within the nucleus of the family is, you know, the more that they're staying connected with a, with a younger generation. So it's critical. So I do believe that that's a, a big win for those brands. Okay, well, the next one really, um, that's an interesting one because uh, the next one is what I call this multisensorial connection. And I'm, pr- I'm pro- uh, you probably have heard this as well or have seen this, but, you know, we Latins, Hispanics, Mexican, it doesn't really matter what, what, uh, what, uh, where we, ca- we, what, what origin we have, but we sense to be very, we, we seem to be very sensorial. And sensorial in every really aspect, you know, um, I even think that in my old days, in my other CPG company, we talked about how many perfumes of, uh, 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 we had in some countries versus, uh, countries in Europe and countries in the U S the amount of perfumes or variations of perfumes and the intensity of the perfume in our Latin American countries was so much higher than in the other countries. We had more and the intensity were even higher. I mean, I don't even think that uh, some of the uh, products that today are here that we know scent are big in Latin America. So uh, this is really brings to manifest. It shows how these, uh, the way something smells, the way we touch, the way we look at each other in the eye, the way we, uh, we connect through our uh, sensorial um, senses is critical. Uh, and a specific one uh, is the touch. So Latins, we love to touch each other. And the reason why I think is because I think the touch is a way to feel the love. So, you know, there's people who don't even say, you know, I love you, uh, but they give you a very nice hug. And that's really one of the things that when I was talking to a lot of these people, they were saying, you know, 
I miss a hug. I don't need to hear them. I don't need to see them. I just miss that hug. And of course, you know, again, you know, not being able to to hug each other is being, uh, again, frustrated. And I think it really hurts our heart. Um, and that's really where the toughest part have been. You even see these uh, people talking about how, you know, even some of the parents have been sick. They have not been able to see them. Uh, they have not been able to squeeze their hand. So there was a lady who was telling me uh, that uh, her daughter uh, got sick with COVID-19. Uh, she wanted to go to see her in this hospital. She could not really see her. So she just told the nurse, can you please give her three squeezes for me? Because she knows it's going to be me. Uh, you know, you even brings it even brought tears to my eyes. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, yes. She will for sure know that it was probably me versus somebody else. Uh, so, um, so this whole field of the of the touch is critical. So I think affection really is shown through touch, and that's really what's what's hurting all of us uh, as this time is, is is hard to connect in that way. Lane, I know you've been seeing some um, stuff surface from some trend work you've been doing. Does that's kind of hitting on this directly? Yeah, I've been seeing um, some stuff around the home, you know, thinking about how people are spending more time at home that kind of play into what you were just talking about. People are creating consciously these like cozy moments or cozy environments in their home because, you know, everyone's feeling stressed and anxious. Everyone's missing that touch and they want to replicate it the best they can while they're in their home. And a lot of it's coming from this Danish practice that's called Heidi. And it is really all about like consciously creating moments of um, comfort and moments of stillness. And to hit on what you're talking about touch, a big factor of this is, you know, soft fabrics, plush pillows, um, couches that feel like they're giving you a hug as you're sitting down in them. So even though you may not be able to hug your family members, you're still getting that warmth and that feeling on your skin that you have been missing out on. No, that's so interesting that I, I love it. I, th I think they are finding ways to, through other vehicles, you know, make yourself feel like, you know, cozy and like somebody's hugging you and, uh, and, and being touched, which is fantastic. Um, I was thinking the other day, uh, you know, because when you think about touch, really what touch really is showing. And again, we talk about touch showing affection. So when you start, you know, peeling the onion, as we, as we talk about it, of what really affection is all about, you know, affection really can manifest through maybe nostalgia. You know, again, when you think about, you know, when, when you're a little bit nostalgic, it's because you're missing, you know, that, that, that emotion and that emotion of being, you know, affection and being together and being, you know, content. And sometimes you can think about, you know, brands can also, you know, in the food industry or in the flavor industry, maybe come up with flavors on foods or even packages that somehow hint that affection in a way, shape, or form. That's interesting. A home-cooked meal or a dessert that you used to eat with your grandpa who can't give you a hug right now. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that, that's another way where, you know, some of these brands can really bring that sense of affection and, you know, of, uh, of that feel yeah, that, you know, that, that you can't have the touch, but, you know, you can still feel that affection in some way. Yep. Very interesting. So what's, what's the fourth one? This is a great conversation. Um, so this last one, uh, and again, last one, but not least, an or meaning that is the fourth one, you know, again, all of the uh, things, um, they don't really have an order of priority. It's really, um, I like it because again, it kind of, you know, brings it, brings everything, you know, all uh, together. Uh, and the word really is togetherness. There is this idea that um, we always say, you know, there's really, Anything is an excuse to be together. And we use that phrase a lot. You know, it could be a celebration. It could just be a meal. It could be an event. Anything that will bring us together, it's a, it's a big win. Because I think that one of the things we really believe is that shared moments and experiences is really what living is all about. Um, and you can probably say that has a connection because you know, not all, you know, all Hispanics or Latins have the economic means to do a lot of things. But what the only thing we really can do is be together. 
So if you can be together, even through tough times or even to great times, um, that's really just uh, a way to really experience those moments. So just by being together, it just, just enhances that sense of connection. Uh, and again, going back to, you know, and connection really what is, is just really the feeling uh, that affection as well. So they are really bummed up again, you know, talking about, you know, not being able to get together. You know, uh, one of the things that we have in, in Latin America is Sundays. And I, I think in the U.S. as well, you know, Sunday is a family day. You know, we're all together. And in Latin America, uh, I remember my old days, we will all get together uh, around to have uh, our uh, a meal, you know, at two o'clock. Um, we normally have our big meal of the day. So it's called comida and we will all get together and eat. And the meal will be from two o'clock to eight o'clock uh, because we will have our sobremesa. But the whole idea of Sunday, just spending the time to be together and enjoying a, a, a great meal is really hard for us Latins. And now that we are not living either abroad or not with your family, you know, you are not living all together. You know, again, before you used to live all together, you know, in, under one roof. But now that we all live in different places, not being able to enjoy that uh, is being very tough. Um, so again, the same thing, the same comment that I made. So it's not surprising that after four months, people want to get together just with, you know, even the closest family, but it's still, you know, it's probably not, not to, uh, not to save a, a bit risky, yeah. but, uh, but I understand, you know, they, they are missing out from that. Yeah. My, my mother actually has cancer. So the first couple months she would, everybody and her were like, stay away, stay away, stay away. Finally, she was like, I don't care anymore. People need to come over. Like, she was just like, I can't do this anymore. So we did the whole outside social distance. People brought different dishes. So we weren't cooking there. But I, I can totally understand how that connection starts to, or that lack of connection just starts to wear, yeah. wear on you. Correct, correct. And this whole idea of just being together for, for to, you know, to celebrate, you know, anything. Again, anything is, a, is an excuse celebration. And I think that, I'm thinking of an example of a brand, and I don't even know if it's a brand or just somebody that decided that it's a good idea, but I, I love when, you know, when there, is, uh, when there is a birthday in the house of anybody. Yes. You see those signs that says happy birthday, but giant signs. I think that whoever invented, I don't know if it's Hallmark or whoever, I don't even know if it's a specific brand or anybody's doing it now, or, um, or again, I have no idea, but they tack into a beautiful thing. So this whole idea of, you know, socially celebrating, but this whole idea of still being together, people come outside and they cheer for you and they even um, celebrate uh, with you um, was fascinating. You know, you felt like you were celebrating with anybody just by having that, everybody knowing that it was, there was something important happening in that household. Exactly. And people drive by and honk. It's wonderful. I feel like it even ties back to what we were talking about with the first principle, just this idea of like having any reason to celebrate, you know, like finding those little joys and that little excitement and making a big deal out of it. Cause that's really all that we have right now. Correct. Correct. So I, so I do believe that they are, they're loving that. The other, the other thing that I saw about again, and I think I saw advertised a little more is in a lot of, um, maybe fast food, uh, restaurants, they are doing these family packs. Um, I know that probably it was before, but it was not really that advertised. But now, for example, like, and I was just thinking about it. Um, the other day I went to, uh, unfortunately I have a son who loves panda food. I, you know, please don't tell me why, but that's okay. He loves panda. Uh, so he loves his rice with his beef and broccoli. I even know that. But they now advertise a family meal. I was like, oh. No, before it was not only an individual one that you can buy like two different entrees and with one side or whatever. Now it's a whole family meal. And I'm sure this, like, you know, like you were talking, Leanne has been here for a long time, but we, I don't think we were using that that much before, but I think that now, you know, you, I go to some of the other um, fast foods or maybe just takeouts and they are, you know, really bringing this family size uh, to go meal. So I'm thinking like a year from now. So let's say a year from now, we're still kind of in the same spot. There's still a lot of quarantining. There's still a lot of isolation. Do you think that the Hispanic consumer will have moved to where their, their compensatory behaviors that 
they are now accepting is the new norm versus do you think that there will always be this, you know, heritage component that they're always going to want to go back to, you know, the way things were post or pre COVID? Well, you know, you are, you are touching on a great question and you know, um, that, that, that's really the whole psychology of, uh, of, of, of the, of the human nature. I believe that even though they are finding ways to navigate to this new life and they are doing things instead of, and they are somehow, you know, substituting some things for the other, I think they are going to go back to the way that they used to do things only with the advancement. So I would say, you know, the whole idea of being spontaneous would always be there. I don't think that you can take that away because I have seen it since I was a little girl and, um, and I am not, I am not a little girl anymore. And I can see it in different ways that has manifested throughout my life. So I don't think it's going away. I think that they might leverage technology. They might leverage, you know, the advancement, uh, to be able to, uh, to have a better life, but I don't think that that will go away. So let me give you an example. You know, again, we talk about how cuisine and food is very important in Mexico and how, um, Mexicans, you know, they use food to really, um, bring all what's important in their identity and the family, but home cooking is very important. So in Mexico, you don't really see in the grocery stores, all of that fast food, very, very different. There are some variations of what fast food can be. So you can probably say, well, that's fast food. Well, it's not really fast food. It's, it's, it's maybe a little bit of an advancement, you know, again, using technology and using, you know, just improvements in the way that we do things uh, to help make cooking a bit faster. But, uh, but, you know, you never see in the Mexican stores all of these, you know, uh, frozen aisles. We don't have so many frozen aisles. Oh, that's interesting. So again, there might be, you know, I, I'm trying to think about here a way, but there might be like, you know, mole, which is, you know, a, a nice, uh, a big, uh, main, uh, big sauce that we use in Mexico to, uh, to cook the mole all uh, made up, but it's homemade. And the only thing you have to add is all of these things, but you know, uh, mole used to take, you know, eight or nine hours to actually cook from scratch. Uh, so people are not making that anymore as they used to. A lot of people continue to make homemade mole, uh, but the companies are still talking about homemade mole and you just, just add your touch there. But, um, but I still believe that the, 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 the trails uh, are there still and will still be there. I was thinking about this as we were talking and Veronica, you were talking about, you know, how Hispanics value food and value family. And I kind of feel like this pandemic has like pushed Hispanic values and Hispanic culture onto a wider audience because, you know, we're seeing everyone is valuing cooking at home with their family more, you know, eating long meals with their family. So I think that we've all learned to start to adopt the things that the Hispanic culture has been so successful at for, for such a long time. No, you know, and sometimes, you know, I use this term and I don't know, again, if it really exa ex is exactly what, um, what the word is, but I sometimes say that I'm sure that, you know, uh, a lot of these Hispanic or Latino characteristics, if you want to call them that way, a lot of, uh, a lot of them, you know, you can see them across countries. Uh, and across ethnicities. And I believe that some of them have them a bit dormant. They are inside, but you know, you have not used them before. You didn't know how to use them. So they are there. But if you somehow start exercising them, you're going to see that you might enjoy them too. And I think that's what we're seeing today is I don't think that we enjoyed or maybe did not uh, understand the joy of being able to play so many games with our kids at home. We've been doing it for five months that now it's like, oh, you know, you are enjoying that so much that you're going to miss that when it goes, hopefully our kids to do, right? But it's, it's funny, that time that we're spending together because we were forced to, uh, we did not know that we enjoy that much. So I think that characteristic was somewhat dormant in ourselves. And now that we are exercising it a little, uh, it's coming alive. So I am not surprised uh, to see what we're seeing that other um, 
ethnicities are enjoying some of the basic things that some other cultures, just because of, you know, the moment of our history, where are we, where are we economically couldn't afford them? You know, again, talking about, you know, I, I was even uh, talking with you before this, but, you know, the trying to rent an RV right now, you can't do it. You know, everybody is starting to use RVs. RVs have been in for many years. We Mexicans, because of money, we could not really afford a lot of airplanes. So we used to travel a lot in cars and we did a lot of road trips, maybe not in RVs because, you know, we don't even have very many RVs. Um, but uh, the idea of road trips, it's very much ingrained in, in the Mexican culture. We did a lot of, I, when I was growing up, we did a lot of them. So I don't know if Americans or, you know, maybe Europeans a little more did as many as, but right now it's impossible to get an RV. So I think that because of the situation, they are doing things that they did not do, but now they're going to see they're going to enjoy them. And I, I think you said it earlier, and I think it hits the nail on the head. It's, it's about the values. It's what, what do you value and then stay true to that. And I think that hopefully what's happening will start to instill new values or values that may have been there in the beginning, but, you know, are now being, um, you know, re-energized or uh, reprioritized. All righty. Well, we are, we are at time. So I, you know, Lane, do you have any additional questions? This was a really, really phenomenal, robust conversation and definitely really excited to be able to air this. I'm, you know, I'm very, very appreciative here that you were able to take the time to talk to us today. No, I love it. No, I haven't. I've enjoyed it. I think I've, I've enjoyed it. I don't know if more than you guys, but I have enjoyed it very much. I feel like I've learned so much. I love it. This has been awesome. Yes, definitely. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 